thank you all for being here. It's good to, good to see all of you. And uh, I know some folks have said that spring break week is a real holy week around here. And uh, <laughs> for some folks, I suppose that's true. But thank you all for, uh, for being here this morning. It's always good to see you and to be with you and to have the joy of baptizing a little one. It's, uh, it's been a great day. So thank you for your, for your presence on this fourth Sunday in Lent. Our scripture lesson for today is a gospel lesson. In fact, it's probably one of the best known stories in scripture. And it's one of those stories that's known by a lot of folks who are not familiar with scripture as well. It's referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and they sort of set the story up, and then I'll move to the second part of verse 11, and we'll read till the end of the chapter. It is a gospel lesson, so I would ask you as you are able to please stand for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow eats with sinners, welcomes them, eats with them. So he told them this parable. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your father has come, and your father, your brother has come, and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, For all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted cow for him. Then the father said to him, Son, 
You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. The author of the book that has been our textbook of sort for this season of Lent, Gifts of the Dark Wood, Eric Allen's, in a paragraph from the first chapter had this to say. He said, in light of these realizations, I began to view not only my life story, but also the lives of my great childhood heroes differently, many of them from the Bible. Others included heroes like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington Carver and Dorothy Day and Martin Luther King Jr., To be sure these heroes could produce a lengthy list of accomplishments, he said, yet their list of failures and dark nights of the soul is every bit as long. Their stories reminded me that I wasn't alone in my struggles. They show that a living, vital, even faith is not about moving from temporary failure to lasting success, but allowing your next source of revelation thereby your next opportunity. Out of our struggles, revelation. Out of our struggles, opportunity. Deep in the dark wood, there are gifts. The first gift we stumbled upon there was the gift of temptation. How can temptation be a gift? By nudging us, sometimes really pushing us to choose good over bad and even more to choose the best over the good. The second gift we nearly tripped over the dark wood was the gift of uncertainty. Not being sure, a gift, does that trouble you? Did that make you think? It made me think some. By nudging us or pushing us to go a little bit further, even when we cannot see beyond the headlights. I heard someone say a few years ago, and it really made an impression and stuck with me. They said, you cannot see any further than the headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. We don't always know what's coming. There is much uncertainty. And this is a gift that some folks avoid like the plague. They have to have it all figured out. They're the ones who've had to walk all the way around God with a the camera. They've got to know everything before they'll commit to anything. And then the third gift that often appears on the pathway in the dark wood is the gift of emptiness. When by the grace of God, we can get over being so full of ourselves, then we can allow God to pour God's love and mercy and grace into our hearts. God's thoughts and God's ways. And for today, the fourth Sunday of Lent, or the fourth Sunday in Lent, is the dark wood gift of getting Lost. So many thoughts and images come to mind when I hear those words, getting lost or get lost. can still picture the fawn snapping his fingers and telling Richie and his friends, get lost. Leave me alone. You know, you're not worthy to be in my presence. Get lost. Growing up, were we ever rudely dismissed by an older sibling or, or by an older kid in the neighborhood who would turn to us and say, get lost? Get lost. When we maybe we were the older sibling and older kid and we said that to someone else. Get lost. Translation, make yourself scarce. Leave me alone. Get out of my space. Get out of my face. Get lost. 
for those of us who might have been a little bit insecure in our earlier days, those words could be troubling and destructive and demeaning and devastating. But get lost does not conjure up, not for me anyway, the same images as when somebody talks about getting lost. Those words make me think of a lot of things. They make me think of my own dear mother who left this world about 14 years ago. Thank you, Jesus, that she didn't have to drive herself to heaven or she'd still be riding around out there somewhere. (laughs) She could lose her way in a church parking lot. Directionally challenged is a kind term for for her lack of navigational skills. I remember remember a lot of stories. I remember one story where my dad had followed my mother to the dealership. Her car was undergoing some warranty repair work there, and she was to follow him home because she wasn't sure of the way. And she got caught by a red light. My dad didn't realize it, and he kept driving. And um, it dawned on him when he turned into the driveway that my mother was no longer following him. And when she finally found her way home, he was sitting on the front porch with his head in his hands like a condemned prisoner whose hour had arrived. Thank goodness when the next morning came, there was no yellow tape strung around the perimeter of the front yard. Uh, It was not a pretty scene. Getting lost. And I did inherit some of those genes from my mother. She would often cry when she got lost. I, I get a little bit angry and a little bit frustrated, not road rage aimed at somebody else, but but aimed at myself. And I eventually moved beyond these non-productive emotions and decided, well, I'll just keep driving until I come to something that I recognize, (laughs) like the Alabama or the South Carolina state line. So uh, (laughs) there's really... No excuse, though, for getting lost anymore, is there? Most vehicles have a GPS system in them, or you've got it on your telephone, or sort of old school, you've got the MapQuest printout, or the road signs are better. There's really just no excuse for for getting lost anymore. But until they come up with a foolproof system, this fool will continue to get lost every now and then, I'm sure. Getting lost, it's not always an outdoor activity. Folks have gotten lost inside church buildings where sometimes the signage is not adequate and church buildings are not always laid out in logical ways, so it is possible to get lost in a church building. Probably, though, more folks get lost trying to find church buildings than they do inside church buildings. Tony Campolo, and some of you have read his stuff, you've heard him speak. Uh, He's made an impression on me for many years. First time I heard him, I thought he was the funniest and most profound person I'd ever met in my life. But he told about one Sunday, he was supposed to be the guest speaker at a church, and he had never been there before. And he pulls up in front of a church building, gets out of his car, he runs in, walks down the center aisle like he owns the place, walks up into the chancel area and sits down beside the pastor. And then this epiphany. <laughs> I'm in the wrong building. And so he said he eased back up the aisle, just smiling and looking around and waving at everybody and just hit the back door and and kept going. Getting lost. How many books have been written about folks who have been lost or even about cats and dogs who get lost and make those long journeys and eventually find their way home? And I like those stories as long as they end right. If I know up front that a movie or a television show or a book has something to do with a dog or a cat dying, then I just put it down. I don't want anything else to do with that. But it's amazing how these critters find their way home. 
Our gospel lesson for this Sunday, this gift of getting lost Sunday, this fourth Sunday in Lent, is from that famous story in Luke chapter 15. And Luke 15 is often referred to as the lost and found department of the Bible. They're lost sheep, lost coin, lost child. And in a sense, two lost children. And every time I read or hear this well-loved, oft-told parable, I see something new. I hear something different. The Spirit speaks to me through it in some, some different ways. It's a living document, and it refuses to lie still under the microscope, whether it's been examined by a Ph.D. biblical scholar or by a preschooler in, in a church pre-K program or preschool program. There's something alive and something different about it. Something that's helped me to see and hear this one a little differently is a book that was written by Henry Nouwen, and some of you may be familiar with Nouwen. He was a Roman Catholic priest, died a few years ago, and maybe it's been over a decade or more now, 66 years old. He died as a young man from the way I see it. He was an incredible human being. He was a gifted writer, a spiritual writer that's made a difference in my life and thousands if not millions of lives this book is called the return of the prodigal son a story of homecoming and the opening paragraph sort of sets the tone or the mood for the rest of the book let me share that brief paragraph with you one or two paragraphs he said a seemingly insignificant encounter with a poster presenting a detail of Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son set in motion a long spiritual adventure that brought to me a new understanding of my vocation and a new ability, a new strength to live it. At the heart of this adventure is a 17th century painting and its artist, a first century parable and its author, and a 20th century person in search of life's meaning. And it was still the 20th century when he wrote these words. He said, one day I went to visit my friend Simone Landrian, and as we spoke, my eyes fell on a large poster pinned on her door. I saw a man in a great red cloak tenderly touching the shoulders of a disheveled young boy kneeling before him. I could not take my eyes away. I felt drawn, he said, by the intimacy of the two figures in the, in the painting, the warm red of the man's cloak, the golden yellow of the boy's tunic, and the mysterious glow that just seemed to hang over the whole, whole picture. But most of all, it was the hands. It was the old man's hands as they touched the shoulders of this boy that reached me in a place, he said, where I'd never been reached before. Realizing that I was no longer paying attention to the conversation, I said to Simone, tell me about that poster. She said, oh, that's a reproduction of Rembrandt's prodigal son. You like it? He said, I kept staring at the poster, and I finally started, it's beautiful, more beautiful than anything I've seen. Makes me want to laugh and cry at the same time. I can't tell you what I feel as I look at it, he said, but it touches me very deeply. What I'm trying to visualize now, back my words, and convey at this point is, how does the story of the prodigal son fit in with this theme of getting lost? One answer perhaps goes like this. If the younger son, the prodigal, had never left home, had never ventured to a, quote, distant country or a far country, would he have ever experienced his father's unconditional, extravagant, extraordinary love? Or would he have become a carbon copy of his older brother, 
thinking that his father loved him because he stayed home, played by the books, kept all the rules, and did what was expected. If we or someone we love deeply has never been in a far country, has never been to the far country, then perhaps we or they have never known the real joy of being welcomed home. That's not to say that we should intentionally wander off just so we can experience the fiesta, the party, the celebration when we decide to come home. But truth be told, I bet that all of us have a far country tale to be told. Isn't that what Paul means in his lengthy letter to the church at Rome? Maybe that's one of the things that Paul meant when he said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all wandered off in the far country. If we've never been lost, then maybe we've missed out on the profound joy of being found. Have you ever been really physically, literally lost out in the woods on a a camping trip or out on a hike or something, you got off the trail, and the more desperately you searched for a way out of the woods, you got lost, you just got deeper in the woods, and you got more desperate and more frightened. Now, if I'm correctly remembering my Boy Scout training, I start to say from a year or two ago, but it's been a few decades. If I'm remembering what they taught me was, if you get lost, just stand still. Just stay there. And hopefully the searchers... (laughs) Hopefully there will be searchers. Hopefully the searchers will find you. It's not like the scoutmaster is going to say, well, we brought 18 boys out here and we've got 17 now. That's not bad. Let's go home. (laughs) Hopefully somebody's going to come looking for you. And hopefully, prayerfully, they'll find us. In the book for this series, Gifts of the Dark Wood, Eric Allen says, my best way forward will most likely B, if I stand still and let the unexpected love find me. There's been a sort of a debate throughout a lot of Christian history about, you know, people say, well, so-and-so found Jesus. And others will say, well, didn't know he was lost. I thought Jesus found them. And, and then that old, old story out of the book of preacher stories that you've probably heard before about the little Baptist church out in the country and there was a pretty deep creek running by and when the weather got pretty they'd take folks out there to baptize and they were baptizing one day and one of the notorious characters in the town that had been into just about every kind of trouble you can imagine came wandering up on the scene and the preacher was delighted to see him and he grabbed him and drug him down to the creek and dipped him under the water and said have you found Jesus? And the guy came up and he was gasping for breath and looking around and he said, no, no. And then he put him down again, held him down about 15 or 20 seconds and pulled him out. Have you found Jesus? He said, no. And then he did it one more time, held him down about half a minute and pulled him out. Have you found Jesus? And the guy said, no, I haven't found Jesus. Are you sure this is where he fell in? (laughs) Who found who? (laughs) The provenient grace of God. That's what we believe as Wesleyan Christians, that God comes looking for us. The gift of getting lost. Eric Allen's also talks about folks who are lost in their work. Work that does not bring meaning or purpose or joy to their lives. Maybe you've been there. 
People who find and live into their calling, he said, rarely do so without getting lost somewhere along the way. Yet since there are no straight or clear paths through the dark wood or out of the dark wood, they do not cease to get lost once they've been found. Now hold that thought for a moment. Rather, those who embrace life in the dark wood are familiar, learn that the regular experience of getting lost is one of the most important gifts we can receive. Getting lost is not just a one-time thing. We say, oh, well, I'm glad that's over with. What's next? But it's something that can happen over and over. But God continues to search for us. The gift of getting lost, he said, is the gift that keeps on giving. I wonder if the young man in the parable ever got lost again. I wonder if Big Brother ever learned to embrace the gift of being lost without ever leaving home. The gift of getting lost. The story of the prodigal son or maybe better told the story of the ever waiting, ever loving father. You can picture it, can't you? You can just picture him running down the driveway, running to the road, embracing his son. A couple of reasons for that. Number one, he was overwhelmed with joy. Just welcome home. (laughs) My son was lost and he's found. And then the second might have something to do with the customs back in that day. When this young man left home, he had offended his father. He had embarrassed his father in the presence of the whole village. It was one of the worst things you could do. What he did to his family took his stuff and ran, so to speak. And sometimes when people did that, when the villagers caught up with them, it didn't end so well. Folks were known to have lost their lives because they had offended their family and offended the village. So the father running down to embrace this young man, not just to joyfully welcome him home, but to save his life. Maybe. When we're found, that's what happens. Let's see if I can close this with these closing thoughts from Henry Nouwen's book and then let you take it and pray about it and think about it. He said, when four years ago I went to St. Petersburg to see the actual painting, Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son, I had little idea how much I would learn to live what I then saw. I stand at all, he said, at the place where Rembrandt brought me. He led me from the kneeling, disheveled young man to the old, bent-over father, from the place of being blessed to the place of blessing. He said, as I look at my own aging hands, I know that they've been given to me to stretch out to all of those who suffer, to rest upon the shoulders of all who come, and to offer the blessings that emerge from the immensity of God's love. The gift of getting lost, maybe it's the gift of becoming a blessing. Amen.